welcome to the Queen's Church Sermon Podcast. Our church is being built on two vision statements. Jesus is our passion and love is our mission. We hope this message leads you to Jesus and that next week you'll join us in person to experience God's love through this local church. You can follow us online at qns.church. Think of it like we're going to talk about it even spiritual morning. Like you've just, you've just entered into some sin that was kind of tantalizing you for a while and tempting you. And you realized what God said way back in Genesis when he said, sin is crouching at your door. Maybe you've mourned because that was tempting you for a while and you went ahead and stepped into that sin and then all of a sudden the tiger pounced. And you realize those words are true, that sin was not beautiful and, and, um, and enjoyable, but really it was a tiger waiting to just consume you. And in those moments, sometimes you're struck with mourning. So I want us to, to um, kind of ride that tension this morning about why Jesus would say happy or congratulations to someone who is in mourning. It seems so insensitive of him, but I hope, I hope we can see through his word that <clears throat> what he's doing is not insensitive. He's actually helping us to have a paradigm shift in our thinking. He wants us to see that mourning and grieving is something very valuable to the human experience. It's not something that we can ignore, and when we do, ignore it. Some of us in this room nodding our heads know, yep, I'm really good at ignoring the morning. I'll just get past it. We'll talk about how uh, we're enticed to do that. And what we'll see is that when we choose to bottle it up or to just let it slide, roll off our backs, what hits us in the face later is utter despair. So let's jump in with that as our framework. And I want, uh, you have, hopefully you were handed um, when you walked in. If not, um, we can grab one uh, from the back somewhere. I'll give, give you one. There's a place where you can take down some notes. So there's going to be some things on the screen. If you have uh, come to church a while, or, or maybe you came back in the day and you're like, you know what, church never did anything for me. One of the ways that might help you, it helps me, is if you just jot down some notes. And then later on in the week, when, something, when, when sin is crouching at your door and, and you give in and it jumps, you think, man, there was something good that was said that, that God that spoke to me, but I don't remember what it was. You can pull out that card out of your Bible and you can have that. So I have a few things here. Um, that you can write down. <clears throat> the first one is this. Mourners experience lasting comfort. So here's what the world says to mourning, right? They say, turn away from it. Just get over it. Anybody ever been told that? When you were in a situation where you were grieving some loss, maybe a job or a relationship um, or something you felt like you did that was wrong, a sin that you have committed, even if you didn't call it that at the time, and people just told you, get over it. It's time to move on. Anybody ever had that? You can raise your hand. Just move on. It's time to get over it. How does that make you feel? It makes you feel like they don't understand the depth of what you're going through, right? If I could just get over it or move on, I would have. Thank you very much. But see... The world's answer to sorrow is always for us to get away from it as fast as possible. Why? Because it doesn't seem purposeful, right? In the world's eyes, and by the world, I mean people who aren't following and chasing after God for this lasting comfort. In the world's eyes, sorrow has no purpose. It's hard to see why a week or a month or even a minute spent grieving the loss of something could be purposeful. So the world's answer to sorrow is to get away from it. And here's what we go to. I actually did a little poll on my Instagram story and had a lot of responses. And I, gave, I just gave, uh, I think, four choices. But there were more, but that's the most that an Instagram poll can do. So I said, when you feel sad or depressed, right, where do you turn? And I put up there food. And I meant to put, I should have put food or drink. But I think people got it. Food or drink, sex entertainment, or God. Those are the things that I put. And a few people actually direct messaged me and said, uh, like, I voted for food, but I, meant, but I wanted to do two, food and God. Like, I, I want to go to God when I feel depressed and sad, but I don't always. I do sometimes. Other times, food is where I go, 
right? And you might think, I, I told that person back and forth, I said, entertainment is mine. So I get that. If I vote entertainment, it doesn't mean that's where I always go. But I tend to, if I'm feeling sad or depressed, or if I'm just feeling the loss of something, or feeling like um, guilty for a sin that I've committed, I'll generally turn to entertainment. Like, let's just put on some, uh, put on a movie. Let's watch some Netflix. What is that for? What am I trying to get from entertainment? Some type of comfort, right? Trying to get my mind off of it because if it's bugging my mind, if it's trapped in there and it's, and it's, it's attacking me, making me consider only that, making me defeat myself in my head, I want to just set all those thoughts aside and cover them up with something else. And it might be food, it might be drink, it might be any of these things. But the point is, we're trying to indulge to get something back, some type of comfort. We ignore the morning, and we want to get something back. But see, the, the tricky part is, all of these things have the ability to give that to you. Don't they? We would be lying to ourselves if we said that we can't actually find some comfort in food. I mean, there's a restaurant down the street called Queen's Comfort. The whole concept is based around the idea of comfort food. There is this type of food that you can go to and it makes you feel the feels, right? You get that fried chicken and waffles. Come on now. She knows who I'm looking at. I don't have to say her name again. You get those fried chicken and waffles and you eat it and it it is as if the cares are rolling away just like that maple syrup cascades off of that buttermilk waffle. Don't worry, there's bagels outside if you're starving. Feel free to excuse yourself at any time and grab one. (laughs) It brings comfort. So let's not... uh, Queen's Church isn't going to be the type of church, and I'm not going to be the type of pastor who just tries to ignore the fact that these things do bring comfort, right? Things of the world exist because they do bring comfort. And here's what I want us to learn to see is that they bring comfort because God actually designed them to. He designed these things for our good. All of the things that I listed, God created to bring comfort, to bring joy, to bring happiness. But what we tend to do with them is to take them from a tool to be used, to be celebrated, and we elevate them to the place that God should be. We take this object and we turn it into an object of, object of worship. So how that looks is when you turn to it for the comfort, right? So if we're going to follow the chicken and waffles analogy, just for fun, we'd say it like this. You're going through something difficult in your life, right? Let's say that you have um, stepped into sin and you know you've done it. And it's facing you right there. And you say, I got to get away from this. I'm going to Queen's Comfort. They didn't pay for this advertising, by the way. And I'm going to get some chicken and waffles. And you go and you just sit and you just eat it and you enjoy it. That is elevating it to the place of God. Here's how it looks if it's comfort. Ready for this? It's a celebration, right? So that same thing happens. It's facing you. And instead of going to the thing to get comfort, You go to your knees, and you spend some time honestly with God saying, God, I went to this sin because I felt like it was going to give me something that you couldn't. And God, that that breaks my heart, and I am sorry that I did it. I confess this sin to you. I'm I'm not holding on to it anymore. I'm going to give it to you with my arms open. God, take this sin from me. I receive your forgiveness, Heavenly Father. I know that I don't deserve it. Lord, I deserve, to, I deserve death based on what I've done. But I want to enter into life by the power of Jesus. And God just goes, Whoosh. I got you. God says, I am enough. And you experience that right there, that comfort that just lasts. And then you stand up and you say, now it's time to eat. Chicken and waffles. Why? It's because God has given you the comfort and you celebrate that in the things that he has given you to have joy and to find rest, right? It's okay to go get chicken and waffles at that moment. Now, I know it might might sound silly when we put a specific name on the food or whatever, but the point is sometimes it's as simple as that. It's as simple as we are just going to something 
when we should be going to God. And we, were, we will find some type of comfort in that thing, but it will not last. And that is the key. The comfort that God gives lasts. So mourners experience lasting comfort. Um, let me show you something from God's word. I told you we were trying out all these new things at Queen's Church. I still haven't figured out really how to preach here yet. Like I have a mic and I have my notes and I have a Bible. So we're just, we're just trying to figure out how to not knock something off. But if you go to 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, listen to this. This is Paul, okay, the Apostle Paul. He's writing to a young church in the city of Corinth. And he says this about grief. Okay, so I'm equating grief and mourning. So when you hear grief, think mourning. When you hear mourning, think grief. It's a deep sorrow that you feel for a loss, a loss of yourself or a loss of a person like we've talked about. Paul says this, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Amen, right? For no regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. You know why mourners experience lasting comfort? Because Paul says right here, mourning is the first step to get you to salvation. That's why it's lasting. Because mourners, people who go into godly grief, they realize when they get in that sorrow that they want to turn away from the thing that caused the sorrow. That's repentance. The simple de definition of repentance that I always learned growing up was repentance means to turn around. So the godly grief the grief is what slams you to the ground, right? Your tears come, and you don't have to cry. It's not like tears are equated right here with repentance. It's not a necessary thing. But the grief, the mourning, knocks you down, and that causes you to look back on it. And that's where confession comes. When you look back across what you did, you open your hands and you say, God, I confess that this was not right. And then I turn from that. And God says, repentance leads to chastisement, right? I will make sure you pay for what you did. No, of course not. That is not the gospel. That's what we say. We think when you turn from something bad, you got to get what you deserve for the bad thing. You got to get what you deserve for that sin. No, no, no. That's not what Paul said. Paul said, the repentance, when you turn and come to God, it leads to what? Salvation. Everlasting life. It leads to lasting comfort. And then he clarifies, in case you're not catching me here, he says, um, world, he's, this one's real simple. He says, worldly grief, it leads to death. When you go to those things to find your comfort, you will only find more death. So, Mourners experience lasting comfort. Here's another thing that um, we learned about mourning in the context of a Christian life. Mourners don't fear emotional pain. This one's tough. Because, hear me, I am not saying that mourners do not experience emotional pain. I'm saying that mourners don't fear it. Here's why. The promise of the lasting comfort destroys our fear of mourning. My hypothesis here is that the reason we turn to things of the earth to find comfort, the reason the world says, get over it, just move on, I think the reason that is is because we are scared of the emotional pain that mourning causes. You don't believe me. Think about it like this. Don't you know that it is a common thing in our day? Don't you know that it's a common thing in our day for um, men to suppress their emotions in order to remain macho? You know that, right? That's something we're, we're taught to do from a very young age. I even catch myself sometimes with my boys. I'm like, man, where did that come from? Why am I teaching them that? That's not a good lesson. Talk, teach, just suppress it all, right? Keep a, keep a, um, a masculine, um, macho persona about you. 
and men don't cry, right? But then, so, so, so we're taught to fear it. If you start to cry, you fear that because that makes you not a man. But then you get older and you realize, you know what women love? A vulnerable man, right? So then you turn into, uh, this is a, a common occurrence, right? You get into high school, college, and then you start your like dashboard confessionals phase. Some of you who are my age are going to know about that. There you go. Dashboard confessionals. It's this um, really emotive rock and roll where we just talk about our emotions through our music, and it really helps us tap into that area where we experience this emotional pain, and we kind of use it as a muse to get, to get by, right? So then we can learn, oh, I, I could be an emotional person. And, and then you, you might even start bragging about, like, yeah, I cried at that movie. Just, just, to try to, just to try to get a little closer to someone, right? But we, we find that this thing that we're taught, it's all about fear. It's about us fearing and being scared of vulnerability and emotions. We have learned to, and it's not just a manly thing either. Uh, I believe our culture teaches women to bottle their emotions in a different way, right? So <clears throat> afraid to show weakness in order to sh- um, uh, cascade to everyone that I am a strong, independent woman. That's what our culture is teaching women nowadays, one of the lessons, right? So yeah, uh, crying and stuff like that, that's fine. We still accept that among women more than we do among men. But women are, are, are taught that, that they must not cry in a board meeting. <laughs> women are taught that yeah, you, you can cry, I get it, we're emotional beings, but we better never have a woman president. Why not? Well, because how's she going to hang it in the Oval Office? She's just going to be crying. You've heard, I've heard political pundits say that on the news before, not in that, not in that quote. So we teach it, we teach, it's the same lesson. So men, you can't have them at all, bottle them all up, push them down. Women, you can have them, but only in the right place. Right? We're just taught to fear these things. But listen, Someone who never mourns, someone who bottles it up or pushes it away, has placed a wall. Here's where the wall sits. Between the reality of what they need to grieve and the response we will let others see. So there's a wall that's being built brick by brick. Every time you choose to bottle your emotions, you're adding a brick to this wall. And what you're doing is you're like, on this side of the wall is what I know I need to do right now. I need to cry about this. I have felt emotions about this. I don't know how to express them. I don't know how to show other people that they exist, but I know that that there's a reality there. However, I have to maintain some sense of decorum around other people whether it's my wife and children or it's my coworkers at a job because I'm a businesswoman and I have a high place and they have to see a strong front. Whatever it is, man or woman, um, young or old, there's a reality out here where we think people need to see a certain thing and we start building this wall. And what happens is for a myriad of reasons, including like our past trauma, our current environment, our internal fears, the point is though that if we ever want to move into lasting comfort and true rest, what has to happen? That wall has to come down. And God, right here, through his son Jesus, says, here's how it happens. Perspective shift. Congratulations. Happy are you who mourn. That destroys the wall. Knock the wall down because I see mourning now And I don't fear the pain that is associated with it because I know that just like working out is painful but produces in me a healthy physique, mourning is painful but it produces in me a healthy emotional being. My character is built up and my comfort and my rest level increases exponentially. So that wall has to come down. Um, just like poor in spirit, so here, here's where we're going to shift gears. Just like poor in spirit last week wasn't about money, right? We learned that. It's not about poverty. Jesus wasn't saying, um, happy are only those who have little to no money. No, it was a spiritual thing, right? Those who are poor in spirit. Just like that, this is actually not even about your tears over physical things. I, I, I believe that the tears that we experience and the mourning we experience over the physical losses, they happen better when we train on the spiritual front. What Jesus was really helping us tap into here is the fact that happy are those who mourn their sin. 
One of the reasons it's so difficult for us, the reason that, that our culture has no answer for this, so we just go with like bottle it up or keep it inside or put a wall or whatever, is because in order to correctly and healthily mourn physical loss, we have to first learn how to mourn our sin. We have to learn how to mourn this poverty of spirit. We have to learn how to go to God and not just say, how many times have you done this? God, I confess that sin. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for the forgiveness. Move on with the life. Right? Is that about the length of the confession session? For me, generally, that's not mourning. We, we've never been taught. How many of you, by a show of hands, have ever been to a spiritual disciplines class on the spiritual practice of mourning? We lost it, right? I asked Danny. He and I were talking in the office last week when I was preparing for this. I said, hey, man, he was so taken aback by the question. He was like, I don't even know what that means. And I, and I said, I agree. Me too. I said, do you, have, do you have a time in your routine where you mourn? Like, where do you put that in your spiritual life, mourning? And he said, I don't have it. <laughs> what did he say? First thing in the morning. It makes the most sense. No, he said, I don't have a, I don't have a, a regimen for that. And I said, me, me neither. I've learned in recent years to put in a regular regimen of confession instead of just confessing when sins come up, to have like a time of day every single day where I'm confessing God. I encourage you to do that too. You could talk to me about it more if you want to hear what I do. But the point is, this mourning thing we've just lost, Paul says it right there too. He says, it's what gets you to repentance. The grieving the sin, the, the crying over it is what gets you to this place of repentance. But we usually just skip over it. Confess and I'm out. But listen, when we mourn well, we realize that comfort comes through mourning, not confession. You know what comes through confession? Forgiveness. We're going to God with confession alone, and we're asking him to give us back comfort and forgiveness. And he's saying, I painted this beautiful portrait of a disciple. And in this portrait, the, very, the second thing I said was, happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Don't come to me with confession and want comfort. I will give forgiveness because I have more grace than you imagine. But if you want comfort, you got to get real with those emotions that you've been bottling up. Comfort comes through mourning, all right? Um, so we don't fear the emotional pain because we can see that from that mourning grows our spiritual life, our comfort, our rest. Um, and then check this out. This was, the, this was my most fun insight from the studying of this sermon. Are you ready for this? Mourners have a message for the world. Don't you love having something good to share with others? Like every single week, when I order those bagels on my phone and I go pick them up at Brooklyn Bagel, I'm happy. Why? Because I say, I have something good that people are going to love. If I show up here one day without bagels, I guarantee you I would hear it from some of you. Where's the bagels? I was expecting the bagels. Where's the bagels? Lamont is already saying yes, for sure. But see, the point is because I have something good. I want to share it with you. If I said, well, I got myself a bagel this morning, you would say, why didn't you bring it for all of us? Mourners, it's like this. When you go into mourning and you learn how to do this well, we have a message for the world. The reason, this is where we're going to get um, really real, but then I promise it's over after we get really real. Okay, that's my promise to you. The reason that many of us outside the church, many people outside the church, ready for this? The reason that many people outside the church believe that the church is filled with people who are fake and hypocritical, who, if you've never heard that, raise your hand. Right? Everyone in here has heard someone say about church, ah, people in there are hypocrites, or they're just fake. They're not real people. They're just hyper-spiritualized or holier than thou or whatever. There's a whole bunch of different ways to say it, but that's the point. The reason, I believe, is rooted in the way that many of our churches have historically, and the people in them, have historically viewed themselves as okay, all right, like I'm good with God, and all the neighbors as, but they. So I'm okay, but they. And 
And people see right through that. But I what? Oh, but I'm not as good as you because I don't go to church every week. Oh, okay. Boom. They're already turned. They're already not going to listen to you. Oh, you're okay, but I'm not because you have some special connection to God. Oh, okay. Right? They're turned off. The reason they see us as fake or hypocritical is because we see them as but they. Yeah. They need Jesus. And the gospel, time and time again, encourages us to say, but I need Jesus. The way you go to your neighbors is with the, with the understanding that you need the gospel more than anyone else. Paul said it in one of his letters. He said, I am the chief sinner. And we're going, what? If you are the chief sinner, whoo, I don't know what I'm going to be. But that, that, the point was, he was saying, that's how we view ourselves. You read the story, here's the, here's the classic, um, classic way to know if this is you, okay? If you read the story of Cain and Abel, where do you see yourself in that story? If you had to say, I'm one of those two, all your life you might have read that story and you were thinking what? I would dare somebody to raise their hand and say, oh, I always saw myself as Cain, the murderer. Who do we think we are in that, usually? Before the gospel really changes us. Abel, right? Boom, that's it. We naturally just read ourselves into these stories as the, the hero. Joseph and his brothers who put him in the pit, who are you? <gasps> you can even see yourself, right? You can be like, I've, I've seen myself on the bottom of that pit before, looking up at my brothers, saying, How did you why did you do this to me? When in reality, what the gospel helps us to do is to see ourselves as the brothers looking down into the pit. That's how we know if we are the ones who... It's okay. I told you this is going to be uncomfortable. So we're not going to end here. But just own that for a minute. We tend to say we're okay, but they. So of course it is true that the world is lost. Right? So there is some element of truth to this. It's not like you, you found this on your own and, and this is only you. But what realizing the importance of mourning in the heart of a believer can do just for you, much less on a corporate scale, realizing, right, what mourning can do is leveling the playing field for those who are watching from the stands. Right? It's leveling the playing field from the people who are our neighbors who are not in church. When we realize what mourning can do for us, because once we finally get on our knees, maybe you'll do it tonight, and you'll say, God, I saw myself as Abel, and I, I see now I am Cain. Man, that'll, that'll make your spirit poor, which is good from last week, remember? And you will mourn that. And when we do that, boom, the playing field gets leveled. Because now it's not, but they. Now it's not, but they. It's us. We are in this together as sinners. And listen to this. Queen's Church has a unique opportunity as a brand new embodiment of the local church here in our neighborhood, we have a unique opportunity in our schools, in our workplaces, in our families, in these shops around us. People are watching you and me. I can't leave the ministry center and walk to the subway without somebody stopping me and talking to me about what God is doing at Queen's Church. Sometimes it's one of you, Sometimes it's somebody who I know and they say one of you has been telling them all about Queen's Church. People are watching what God is doing. They're watching you get baptized. They're watching you and I to see, here's what they're watching for, to see if anything is really different. To see if it's any different than what they've heard or experienced in the past. Are these the same people that I ran into before who were okay, but they saw me as lower than them. Are they any different? When Christians mourn, when you and I mourn with godly grief, we are flipping the script for the onlookers who have seen Christians as fake or hypocritical in the past. We're flipping the script, and we instead are showing them 
that we aren't trying to ignore the tough things that come our way. That's what holier than thou is, right? It means eh, no matter what happens, we just take the high road all the time. We never show any emotion. We never show anger, not to anyone else. And they know that's fake. They live next door to you. They can hear you. <laughs> we have a, a church friend who lives underneath us in a very close proximity. And sometimes I'm like, man, I just feel like I need to apologize for Jim <laughs> to Jim after I apologize to my children, right? Because we're not fooling them. But when we level the playing field, we are showing them that we aren't trying to ignore these tough things. We aren't trying to be holier than thou. They will see that we have a way to handle and deal with all of the back-breaking, gut-wrenching, depression-inducing things that the enemy has to say. When the enemy is throwing curveballs at us, they will not see us standing with the bat just saying, yeah, strike one, strike two, strike three, it's a home run because I have Jesus, and walk around the bases. They see you battling through, and they see you take the punch and show emotion and show pain and talk to them about the pain. Listen to this. They won't see you shove your feelings down or look past them with a haughty attitude and say, well, God has a better plan for me. You ever said that? Listen, you know one of our phrases here at Queen Church is God has big plans for you. But let's not turn that into a weapon to show our uh, unbelieving friends that we are better than them. We don't say, well, God just must have a better way while ignoring the grief and the mourning that whatever just happened is causing us. That is fake and hypocritical. We're just saying to them, you're right about me. I'm just looking past that. I'm not diving in deep with it. No, they will see you cry. They will see you doubt. It's okay if you doubt around an unbelieving friend. How will they ever know that they could come to you with their doubts if they think you have it all together? You know who the, you know who the worst person on earth to talk to is when you don't think you know? A know-it-all. Right? <laughs> Tell me that's not true. You don't want to sit down next to an arrogant know-it-all about something when you have a question about it because they're going to make you feel like you're dumb for having a question about it. If you have doubts about God, don't wrestle with those behind closed doors. Wrestle with them in your church family and then say, you know what? I got somebody else. I know someone who's wrestling with this. They lost someone, and they're questioning God, how could you take someone so young? And they're not a believer. They don't have a church family to wrestle about this with. So I need to go talk to them. I need to say, you know what? I know you know I go to church, and I know you know like I believe in God, and he has a big plan for me, but I don't know why he took them so young either. And I'm angry at God for it. Tell them that. They need to see it. They need to hear that. They need to see you fight with all you have to have faith. Then they need to see you on Sunday morning, get up, get dressed, walk out of the house, and worship God. Because especially when you have doubts and fears about the emotional pain, you know the only place you can actually have true comfort is when you are with your church family worshiping and praising God. Because we will pick you up. We will lift your head. And they will say, I thought last night she told me that she was doubting that God even existed. Why did she go to church this morning? That doesn't make any sense. And then you will come home and she will ask you that question. And you will tell her. Because although I doubt the existence of God at times, I know that I have faith that he is real. And when I go to him with my honesty, he always is welcoming to me. And they'll say, I don't know how you can have faith like that. And you'll say to them, only because of Jesus. Because I'm not having faith in me. That's how. And you never know what they might say, but I guarantee you they won't call you fake. Fake. I guarantee you they won't call you hypocritical. And I can almost guarantee you that the next time they doubt God, they're not ashamed to talk to you about it. And they want to come and ask. 
How did you make it through that? And you can say, set your calendar, Sunday, 11, come with me. I'll show you. You don't worship singing these things and then leave with less faith. So here's how we mourn. Next steps as the band comes and we move to a time of response. <laughs> you might think, oh, all that was really challenging and convicting and, and, and spiritually uplifting. And then you leave and you go, wait a second. I don't know how to do it. <laughs> I just try to make myself cry. <laughs> and then I feel better. Listen, I, I, got, I got a few steps for you, okay? If you want to write these down, you can. Maybe we'll post them on our social or something um, this week, like on the story. Uh, maybe we'll send an email about it. But, but here's some steps. I think, I, I think it's actually on the blog. You can try this out, all right? And I will tell you, I tried to do this this week every day. And I did not make it. But three days out of seven. You know, starting a new routine is very challenging. Because I knew I was going to have to stand up here and tell you guys I've been trying this. <laughs> now I'm not being fake. Not being uh, hypocritical. I didn't make it all seven days. But you don't beat yourself up about that, right? Here's how to, here's, here is a way to try to mourn in, with godly grief like Paul is talking about. Number one. You ask yourself these questions. Maybe as you fall asleep, right? Or maybe um, any, any quiet moment you can get at the end of the day. What have I done today that doesn't honor God? Remember I said it's not that the physical stuff we will learn after we learn to deal with our spiritual problems. What have I done today that does not honor God? It's a different question than how have I sinned? Because sometimes that might be hard to put a, put a finger on. Like, I don't know, did I sin today? Like, but what did you do that didn't honor God? The times that I did ask this question, usually it was the way I spoke to people. That was what I confessed there. When I spoke to uh, Lindsay in that way, that was not honoring to God or to her, right? Or to my kids. Number two, so what have I done that does not honor God? Number two, what have I said? That was the one that got me. What have I done that doesn't honor God? What have I said? So action, speaking, what have I said? Ready for the third one? What have I thought? Mm. Did you know that dwelling on something in thought can still lead you into sin? If you're wondering if that's true, we're coming up on some stuff in this, this Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, like, hey, you have heard it said, do not commit murder. But I say to you, if you have hatred in your heart for another, you have already committed murder on a spiritual front. So it's not me saying it, it's God. What have I thought? And then finally, this one's, this one's good for us um, who are around people a lot. How have I lacked in respecting others? This one can be a combination of saying and doing things, or it can be a combination of thinking and then saying things. Uh, for me, when I thought about it, how have I lacked in respecting others? When I um, thought about this one this week, it was generally when I have looked at someone and judged them in my mind of what I think about them. That's not respectful. Jesus looked at people who, he, who everyone else judged, and he went to them with a, with a loving kind, gentle heart. We'll talk about that next week, about meekness. It's amazing. But, but when, we, when we disrespect others, it's dishonoring to God. Okay, those are the four questions. So here's the challenge. Just try that out. It's not going to hurt you to try it, but I do warn you, you better have that, um, better have that second little bullet written down because mourners don't fear emotional pain. You might put yourself through some emotional pain while asking these questions. You don't be scared. Why? Because of the first thing we said. Mourners experience lasting comfort. Here's what I want to leave you with. These three words. God is enough. Chicken and waffles are good. But God is enough. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are enough. Now, make us believe it. Because <laughs> we can listen to your word and receive it and your Holy Spirit can convict our hearts and challenge us but sometimes we still believe 
not believing it. So I pray that you will help us believe that you are enough. And then the first curveball the enemy throws at us this week, maybe today, right when we leave this place, whenever that happens, God, I pray that you would have the words on our lips just roll off. God is enough. God is enough. I don't need another drink. God is enough. I don't need to lash out in anger. God is enough. I don't need to belly up to the table. God is enough. I don't need to turn to the computer screen to find pleasure. God is enough. God, thank you that you are enough. Help us believe it. In Jesus' name, amen. Our prayer team will be standing at these tables back here. This song is for you to respond to God. If we took communion earlier and you were thinking, man, I don't believe in Jesus, so I'm going to stay seated. But you know what? He's convinced me. He is. I have faith in him. I want to believe in him today. Come talk to one of us. Just say, I'm ready to believe in Jesus. We can tell you about how to do that. We can show you from God's word how having faith in him brings lasting comfort. Or if you just have something you need us to pray over you about, come. They will be happy to minister to you through prayer. Prayer is powerful. When we pray, things happen. So come and receive prayer as we worship together. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. Uh, one thing I love about uh, this time right here as we worship uh, is that, that we believe that, that God is speaking to us this morning, uh, that, that he had a word for us during worship. He had a word for us during the message. So, so maybe God's working inside of you right now, that there's this inward uh, working of God. Response and, and asking for prayer is just an outward expression of what God is doing inward. Uh, so let, let's sing out. Let's, let's get prayer if you need it. Uh, let's just allow God to do work in our lives this morning.
Because of the fact that Jesus rose from the dead that we are here this morning, God, that we have life and life abundantly because of our faith in Jesus. God, thank you for this opportunity to worship you. And God, I pray that we would leave these walls differently the way we walked in. I pray that as we go out for the rest of our week, uh, God, that we would just allow this worship to overflow into every aspect of our lives and that the people around this neighborhood would would see something different in us and ask us what that difference is. And we would say, man, just come and see for yourself. Uh, and we would invite people to, for next week. Uh, God, we love you. You're worthy of our praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Y'all can be seated for a moment. Everybody have a good morning. Yeah. One person. Cool. Awesome. Uh, just to close off this morning, I uh, just want to say uh, there is uh, offering envelopes in the back. So if anybody wants to give this morning as a way of your worship uh, to God through giving, feel free to do that. Uh, and just a reminder, uh, feel free to, to give however you feel led to give this morning. Uh, we believe that, that we give to go forward. And as Queen's Church is moving forward, um, it, it happens by, by just the people of God working together to give generously back to God uh, and moving forward. So there's an offering box. If you uh, actually, sorry, my bad. I'll let Summer do this. Uh, Summer's going to give us uh, some announcements this morning. So y'all welcome Summer to the stage. Hello. <laughs> What's up, Queens Church? Man, today's been awesome. It's a tough message, but there's so much comfort in that, right? 
Um, okay, so if you haven't filled out one of our Queen's Church Connect cards, um, go ahead and do that today. We've got some in the back right there, and then we've got a pin or two around. Um, just, just so we can like keep up with you if we're doing anything special or location change, you know, maybe. Um, we just would love to have some information for y'all um, or from y'all. And then um, we've got our small groups just rolling and things have been going so well. I mean, we just had our first one for portrait and that went just so, so well. It was a really good turnout and really good discussion. We just dug deeper into the word and um, we're just taking a look at different characters that represent this, this whole portrait of what this sermon series is talking about. Um, so if you're not plugged in or signed up for a group, go ahead and do that. It's totally worth it. It's an hour and a half out of your week. Um, I think it's worth it. And then we've got a super exciting announcement. Save the date. All the ladies. Any ladies? Anyone? There you go. <laughs> we are doing a women's conference next month. So November 15th and 16th. So when? November 15th and 16th. Yes, we're so excited about this. So we're going to be posting more on social media, and registration should probably go live this week, and um, it'll have all the details, everything like that. So just keep up with our social media posts. Um, and obviously, if, if you see me, Lindsay, around, or you know, Danny and Larry are pretty up to date with all this, but we're so excited about it. So ladies, get excited. And I think that's all we have for today. And so glad that you came out. We love you guys. Have a great week.